Okay, class. Today we're gonna start with the basics. Lutheran podcast where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life in excellence. I'm Pastor Eric. Thanks for listening today. Today I am with my two good friends, Pastor Ben. How you doing? Doing well. And Tim. I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Yeah, we are coming to you from a hotel room, a little crappy hotel room in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Is that right? Is that where we are? We're in Mountain View, Minnesota. Which is in the Twin City area. It's near Minneapolis. Okay. Yeah. We are at the LCMC annual gathering. Uh, that was yesterday, and we enjoyed uh, that time together at the business meetings. Um, lots of talking, lots of introdu- introducing people. We also got to see uh, the installation of our new service coordinator, who's kind of like the president of the association, although it's not quite the association isn't hierarchical, so the service coordinator is the individual who helps guide and lead the staff of uh, LCMC and also kind of gives some spiritual leadership to the association as a whole. So we got to see the installation of Mike Bradley. That was a great time. Um, guys, just before we jump in, what did what did what were your impressions of the annual gathering yesterday? I, it was kind of abbreviated because of coronavirus, but what are you guys what are you guys thinking and feeling about all that? I thought it was a good annual gathering for what it, it could be. Uh, Tim doesn't really have a point of reference because this is his first one that we wanted to bring him in on. Sorry. <laughs> uh, normally, the annual gathering is about 2,000 pastors and leaders from congregations who come together to be nurtured and inspired and kind of redirected by the LCMC of the new direction that that we're going. And so normally that happens over like two and a half days. And this one happened in about nine hours. Yeah, like a, yeah, like a work day. So it, it was abbreviated. There was probably 160 people there. So that's obviously not even a tenth of what it has been in the past. So those things, all, all the teaching was good. All the conversations were good, uh, which is very, very condensed and concise. And so, um, you know, those, those parts will be missed and we look forward to having them back again. But, but overall, uh, the LCMC continues to put their focus on being biblical and, and missional. And of course, that's something we heavily align in, is uh, bringing Christ's truth to the nations. And so it's always good to get together with your brothers and sisters and realize that you're not alone. There's other people out there fighting the good fight all over our nation, all over our world. And so that's uh, very exciting, as, as well as our partnership with the NALC, which is the North American Lutheran Church, which would be our... Um, properly dressed brothers and sisters yes. <laughs> and uh we even had one of their their assistant to the bishop come and speak and so that was that was very very good, good. Yeah. and so these are always restorative times for us uh maybe not as restorative as in the past because a lot of that restoration comes from interacting with mm-hmm. fellow pastors and youth workers mm-hmm. and and leaders and stuff so that, that was kind of eliminated because of the pandemic and the realities of that in the limitation of our interactions, but overall, I thought it was it was pretty good. So, Tim, you don't really have a point of reference, but kind of give us. Your yeah, take. no, it was it was good. Um, you know, I did really miss that whole speaking to new people and mm-hmm. making net and networking and doing things nature. But 
I I really thought it was great. Um, you know, like I said, it's always good to be restored and that I like, just have those days where uh, you learn and you hear from other people's perspective. Um, and so I, I just thought it was, I thought it was really good. But of course, it was my first one and only having 150, 160 people, how many people were there. Also, the, the church was huge, so it really didn't feel like it was that many people in there. But I mean, um, you know, hopefully next year we'll get to make more connections and I'll get to meet uh, other youth pastors, youth directors, um, and just kind of see how they're doing and we can kind of help each other out. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, definitely. Certainly networking is the one of the greatest benefits of annual gathering and that was missing this year. So it, it certainly wasn't the same as the last two that I've been to, but uh, still, still good to gather and still good to have a break um, away from the church building and away from uh, Sterling Rock Falls, Dixon Air, Stock Valley, and have a couple days just for us to hang out too. So that's been good. Well, good. Uh, today, guys, on the podcast, we are talking about heaven, the afterlife, the good place, the bad place, um, and what what that's like. Uh, this is this is an extension or in response in dialogue with the sermon that we had on Sunday, which answered, which asked the question: Is reincarnation real? And Pastor Ben looked at that question from a biblical perspective. So. Pastor Ben, why don't you walk us through briefly what you discovered when you asked that question and dug into scripture and what was kind of the main takeaway from the sermon this Sunday? Yeah, the question as presented was, is reincarnation real? And so what I did is I tried to put it into the framework of how would a Christian try to reconcile reincarnation with their, their faith, with the biblical truth. And so I actually rephrased the question. To kind of lean into that. If someone was a Christian thinking that God was using this, I said, is it a grace-filled act of God where we have unlimited chances, or is it a lie from the world that keeps us locked in a broken and sinful world forever? And so that's how we approached it. We looked at the words of Jesus. We looked in the words of Hebrews. uh, We looked at a recap of the whole Bible, really, and just in real, real brief summary, uh, what we've seen is that the story of Jesus Christ is completely incompatible with reincarnation. In fact, the purpose of Jesus Christ is is completely unnecessary if reincarnation is real. If we have unlimited chances to get it right, then we don't need Jesus to come in and get it right for us. And so we even see right away in the garden, we see in the garden there's Adam and Eve, and there's two trees, which is very, very interesting, by the way. There's the tree of life, which is not off limits. There's nothing in, in Genesis that says it's off limits. And then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God said, of this tree, I don't want you to eat. And so, of course, you, you probably know the backstory. Adam and Eve, they grab hold of the one thing they cannot do in the whole garden, the one possible sin, and they do it. And then God kicks them out of the garden. The reason he kicks them out of the garden is because he knows that in their sinful state, if they grab hold of the tree of life and live forever, they're never going to get it right. Even if they had an eternity to try over and over and over and over again and learn from their mistakes, they were not going to get it right. And this is really the concept of reincarnation, that we're going to come back, we're going to level up or we're going to level down, but we'll learn from our history, right? It's ingrained in our soul somewhere. And then over time, we get so good and so refined that it, it just resolves itself. 
Now, obviously, that's not the biblical narrative. The biblical narrative is we cannot do anything to save ourselves, no matter how many chances. In fact, as we look at the world, we see that if that were true, the world would be getting better and better and better and better and better. And if you flip on the news, you know the world is not getting better and better and better. And uh, there's some areas of improvement, but there's some areas of complete reversion. So that's just the reality of humanity. If we were given unlimited chances, all we would do is lock ourselves into uh, a hell, a hell where our sin would get worse and worse and worse. And uh, so praise the Lord. That's not the reality. That's not the truth. It sounds like a grace-filled idea, but once you kind of step back and take a look at what that actually would be, it'd be an endless cycle of pain and sorrow and loss. And then as soon as you get done with that and you start feeling the peace of the end, it just starts all over again. And so um, reincarnation is obviously an Eastern, Eastern teaching that has made its way over to the West. And unfortunately, some Christians have kind of forced it into their context, but it it really, there's no way it can shake hands with what scripture teaches about Jesus. And, uh, what one has, one thing has to give it's either Jesus is Lord and his, his act is powerful and and worthwhile, or he isn't, is a nothing character in the story. And so anyways, that's, that's what we talked about on Sunday. That's the short and sweet of it. The bottom line is reincarnation is not a biblical truth. And so what we found throughout our sermon series, and, and one of the reasons we're doing the podcast like we are right now, is that every time that we ask a question or present a question, there seems to be an opportunity or people want an opportunity to get a clarifier, right? An additional question. And so today we're, we're really doing that because even though we weren't talking about heaven and hell, the scripture that we used points to heaven and hell, because obviously if we're talking about reincarnation, we're talking about the end of life. And so, of course, people's curiosities were, well, when we get to the end of life, what is what is that going to be like and what is that going to look like? So that's the question we get to answer today. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we are going to look at this question that was submitted by you guys. And I think this one was submitted last year, uh, but it, it ties in very nicely with this idea of reincarnation. What is the afterlife? Uh, what what happens after we die? The question as it was posed, um, and this was, again, this is representative of several questions that were asked that are all similar to each other. The question as it was posed is, when I die, do I go directly to see Jesus? But before we jump into that specific question, I want to back up and I want to do a more general what scripture says about the afterlife because I feel like there's some confusion about what actually happens at the end of the world after we all die, what what is the afterlife going to be like? Um, so I want to start there, but first, um, Tim, what are just in, as you as you've worked with your kids and as you've worked with in the church, uh, what are some ideas that people have? Like, what's like the popular conception of heaven and hell? What's the popular conception of the afterlife? How are people? having this conversation? Yeah, that's a great question to ask. Um, So first off, a lot of my students actually don't believe in hell. Um, And I don't know why that is. I don't know why they've come up with that idea. Maybe it's just to kind of protect themselves or 
to just kind of rid themselves of that anxiety maybe. But, um, you know, I've asked, and I, won't, I, I shouldn't say a lot, but some of my students don't believe in hell. And it's just, it's, it's like, wait, what? <laughs> I mean, obviously if you have, um, heaven, you, you have to have hell, or if you have a good place, you have to have a bad place. Uh, and speaking of those, um, the TV show, the good place, that is how a lot of people perceive heaven and hell. Um, they perceive, uh, it as like a point system. And it's like, okay, as long as I did enough good things, maybe I'll have enough points to make it into the good place or into heaven. And, uh, of course, that's not what scripture tells us. Um, that's a fun idea to think about until you really think about it. Um, I mean, just um, we, cause you can have bad days. Like I've, you can easily have bad days. I almost had a bad day last night um, at Shields, <laughs> um, and so it's just uh, it, it's just that that whole crazy notion of as long as I do enough good, I should be okay. Um, and that's like, like I said, that, that's a very popular opinion. Um, and then what they so I've also asked some of my students what they think about heaven and. They'll say, oh, well, I'm going to get to see all my um, relatives who have gone on and passed. And, you know, they know that the streets are going to be paved with gold. And um, they also know that it's a place where God is and God dwells. Yeah, yeah no, I think that you're right that the and you're, you're rewatching The Good Place right now, that yes. television show right now. Yes. Um, so it's fresh on your mind. I, I've seen that. I've watched that show too. By the way, that show is hilarious. It is so good. So you should, you you ought to go watch it because it's really good. Uh, but I think that you're right, Tim. That most people, that's how they think of heaven and hell. Is that it's like this this eternal place that you go to if you've got enough good points versus bad points. And there's some, you know, in that show they have a judge that is only logical right and it's just it's all down to the numbers of good and bad and that's how you wind up in the good place or the bad place and that's how most people think of heaven and hell and that's that's almost as bad as reincarnation that's i think that's just as bad as reincarnation because it's all law based it's based on if i have if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds then i'm i'm good but at the end of the day we all know Every single person, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, we all know that we're crappy people. We all know that our bad deeds outweigh our good deeds. It it takes a lot of work for us to do anything good. And uh, and so I think that if we were honest with ourselves, we would all know that in reality, we would none of us would make it to the good place. We would never actually have enough good deeds um, to to make it there. So so Pastor Ben, with that kind of popular conception in mind, what what are some of the, like the biblical responses to some of those popular conceptions of heaven just being this? And, and in the show, it's like they can eat whatever they want. They, you know, they're always eternally young. It's very like picturesque. They're in this beautiful little neighborhood, that kind of thing. Uh, what are some of the biblical responses maybe to that popular conception of heaven and hell? Sure. I think one thing built off of what you guys were talking about is, yeah, the good place. It probably wasn't my cup of tea, 
<laughs> so, so everyone listening probably is, I mean, no TV shows like that. But I, I, wa- I did watch it initially because I was curious about people's per- general world perspective on, on it. And like you guys said, it's a scorecard-based eternity. And, and uh, whenever people kind of want life to be like that, what I found is they're the ones that want to keep score. So normally when we're like, I'm a, when we decide if we're a good person or a bad person, who, who do we compare ourselves to? We compare ourselves to the worst, worst. possible. You know, it's like, well, Hitler's in hell, obviously. Yeah. But everyone else probably. But I'm hell. not. And I'm not. I'm definitely not my neighbor. And I'm definitely not that other girl in my class, you know. And, and so we do stuff like that. We actually create our own score. But the scorecard in Christianity is, uh, yeah, you can live your life like that. And there is a scorecard in Christianity. And that's actually the problem. It's called the law. Uh, but it's compared to Jesus Christ, which means that's perfection. So if you failed once, you fail the test. The test is this. You score 100%, you get an A+, plus or, or you get an F. That's the option. And so in our world, we we kind of perceive it as a scorecard, but we then we create our own scorecard, and our syllabus is not given by the, actually the creator of the rules. Yeah. And so for us as as Christians, then, of course, once we know we have failed the test, there's only one, one option, and that's to find the extra credit, mm-hmm. and the extra nice. credit is is Jesus Christ. Nice. And so, the only one who can pass the test decided to pass the test for us. So yeah, I mean that's that's generally I think the reason I like to watch those shows is just to get a get a handle on what does the world yeah. think, mm-hmm. and yeah, that, that's definitely a scorecard scorecard system. But not only do we fail, but we fail very early on. Yeah. Because we're born into sin. Right. And the thing is, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell on Kinsley real quick, <laughs> um, because I admit, listen uh, to listeners. Um, I, I I love Ben's children. They are great. They come in every day and they annoy me because they want to watch the TV show. Um, and so I get to interact with them quite a bit. Uh, but this was actually over a year ago. Uh, this was pre-COVID. Um, so Kinsley runs in. This was when Cooper couldn't quite walk just yet. Um, so this was when I had uh, snacks in my office in that little blue tub um, because I always kept snacks so I could put out for uh, confirmation and high school youth group. And uh, uh, I would always have like really, really good snacks. I mean, all the staff knew about this blue bin, uh, including Kinsley. Okay, so there's this uh, there's this one snack that she particularly loved, and it was frosted uh, animal crackers. And I mean, she and she knew what the package looked like. She knew she got to the point where she knew how to open them. Right now, Kinsley's only two at this time. All right, um, and I know Kinsley's parents. I know Kinsley's parents are extremely amazing people. I know that they're not raising her to be a bad person, right? But when I go into my office and I see uh, this purple, uh, I see a couple of them down, and then I look at Kinsley and I see her mouth is white, I say, Kinsley, did you get, did you get some snacks out of the blue bin? And she looks, she smiles a little bit. She goes, no. And I said, wait, hold on. Wait, Kinsley. Huh? Wait, 
Oh, maybe, maybe that's just like powder. Maybe, <laughs> maybe she just didn't get a good bath this morning. Maybe, no, no, I know uh, all the evidence points yeah. towards her getting. And then it's just the fact that she felt the need to lie about it. Right. And I didn't ask her in an, like, you know, like in an accusing way. Yeah. Like, I didn't have like a tone of like there I was no, mad at no, her. No threat associated with it. But yeah. I, it was just the fact that she felt the need to lie. lie. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, now I know, <laughs> I know her parents aren't teaching her that. Mm-hmm. Like, I know for a fact. So that means that. So what that tells me is there's there's something else at play. Yes, I, uh, Pastor Ben, and I have children about the same age, and I can tell you without a doubt that my children are sinners, and uh, and so you're exactly right. That even from from the very first opportunity to lie, cheat, and steal, kids do. Uh, and so you're right. Like just even right from the beginning, we've already lost. Um, we've already failed the test even from the get-go. So uh, so when it comes to the afterlife then, um, when I die, okay, so let's just uh, – what I want to do is I want to move away a little bit from the question of salvation. And so as a Lutheran church, uh, we are dedicated to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it is the work of Jesus on the cross that saves us. We do not earn our salvation, which is kind of what we addressed just then. Uh, and – and so let's say, uh, let's say I am a baptized believer. I live a life of receiving God's grace for me. Um, I receive the word regularly. I receive the sacrament regularly. I die and I'm going to heaven. I trust, I have my faith in Jesus and I'm going to go to heaven. According to scripture, what is heaven? Because I know in the world, kind of like in the good place, that show, the world kind of thinks of heaven as this like perfect place where it's kind of like here, but also not. And then we have those like precious moment paintings where it's like the angels are like on clouds playing harps and that kind of stuff. So I die, I go to heaven. What is heaven like? What does scripture tell us heaven is? These, these become very tricky conversations uh, because, because that, Scripture doesn't have a, a ton. There's not a lot of scriptures for it. We get a general idea of what heaven is like. Uh, but one thing I think we should probably do a quick aside is that a lot of people, we've talked about this, based their notion not only how to get to heaven, but what heaven is, based on a lot of pop culture stuff. Another thing that's been really popular right now is these near-death experience books. And it's amazing how Christians flock to these things. Like, heaven is for real. There was like a full-blown movie. I read the book and it was a very emotionally driven book and um, I really liked it, but it's complete, complete speculation. And the reason I say that is because there's a ton of near-death experience books. There's a ton of nothing from every religion, atheist, uh, if you're a Muslim, if what, you know, just whatever, whatever brush you paint yourself with people have these near-death experience books and here's the problem they all conflict with each other which means they all cannot be right but they can all be wrong and and so even when we look into just if we narrowed it down to christian circles they don't match up right one person sells his book and it's like you know five minutes in hell ten minutes in heaven next one is 
heaven is for real. And so they paint their near death experience, but they don't match up. So, so obviously what we, we struggle is we can't find absolute truth in those conversations in some ways, maybe there, there's some grace built into there and uh, kind of just a longing for heaven. But if we, if we look at scripture, what we see is um, we start with paradise. So that's the perfect relationship with God, Adam and Eve, uh, the tree of life. And then obviously the problem is encountered. And then the whole rest of the narrative is to get back that, that paradise, that perfect relationship with God. And so, so truly heaven is, is paradise restored, paradise restored. Uh, what I anticipate is this time around, there's probably not a tree of knowledge of good and evil as a, <laughs> as a, as an option to participate, uh, because obviously it's a perfect place and any imperfection would turn it quickly into an imperfect place or, uh, force us to quarantine to a much worse place. So there's a, there's a bunch of descriptors in heaven, but the simplicity of how I see it is just paradise restored. And much like hell is described in the Bible where we have these like chains and isolation and darkness and smoke and fire are descriptors of what it would be like to be disconnected from the loving presence and the love of, of Jesus Christ and God. Uh, so we have descriptors like Tim alluded to like lakes, beautiful glassy lakes and like a mirror, like glass, like crystal. And then you have streets paved with gold. These, these are descriptors. Now, will they look like that? Maybe I have, I have no, no idea, but there's a, a lot of that, that verbiage in, in my perspective. Like once again, I said, we're getting into some pretty interesting waters here yeah <laughs> so so not everyone's going to agree and not every scholar agrees but if i take if i take um the descriptors of hell with the necessary metaphorical language that they use then i would do the same thing with heaven, heaven yeah. and so I, I think the big thing is it's paradise restored and a perfect relationship with our loving heavenly father mm-hmm. um and, and so of course that would be that would be paradise and so I think if we want to see what the end looks like, we kind of go to what the beginning was like. And uh, I think we can get a lot of clarity there. And we see God creates, it's good, 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 until it wasn't. But the until it wasn't was on us, disobeying our Heavenly Father. So that would that would be how I would I would clarify it. But like I said, it's a... It's one of those unknown things that we won't know until we get there. So right. I don't spend all normally I don't spend a lot of time writing books and <laughs> or trying to have dreams or putting those things together. I, I will say one time I did have um, I did have a, a dream. So this is obviously now we're in the kind of real dicey territory. And I had a, a dream one time about going to heaven. And all I remember from the dream is having no pain no pain. And you guys know that even if you're in your mid twenties mm-hmm. <laughs> or late twenties or late thirties, especially if you're a hundred, hundred plus or whatever, yeah, everything is painful. Mm-hmm. Like, and, uh, and I kind of, existence it, is pain. It, it, everything is painful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whether it's pain. a relationship or experience or yeah. just trying to get up or, you know, everything. And that's what I remember. My dream is just 
no pain, which goes in complete. It's, it's completely uh, aligned with scripture because it says there's, you know, heaven. This is the thing I really bank on. If I'm going to bank on anything, it's just heaven is a place where there's no pain and sorrow. Mm-hmm. And if you could just take the life that you have now and remove the pain and remove the sorrow, that'd be pretty amazing. And so even if even if it's just the simplicity of that, that would be unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Thank you, Ben. Um, and I, and I want to just reiterate a point that you made, uh, the point that you made that in Scripture, when Scripture talks about hell and it talks about the new heaven, the new earth, which is I'll, I'll get to this here in a second, uh, it's. All the language is highly metaphorical. The language that's used in the context that it's used for for heaven and, you know, quote unquote heaven and hell, they are not the language that's used, the context that it's in. It's not trying to be and does not expect to be literal. So when we hear about like in the revelation, the streets of gold, the glassy sea, these types of things, um, these are highly metaphorical ways to talk about the beauty that that's going to be experienced. So I was actually going to say that. Thank you for, Mm -hmm. you probably said it better than I was. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so when we look at revelation and we look at John uh, writing um, the book of revelation, um, I I often tell my students it is very metaphorical and, uh, when you are reading, you have to imagine how, how, like when this was and where yeah. John was. Yes. And so I often tell them, okay, so if you had no context at all and you saw an Apache helicopter roaming through and you'd never seen that before, how would you describe an Apache helicopter? You know, and like, you know, shooting its missiles, shooting its m- like machine guns, flying and maneuvering, doing all sorts of crazy acrobatic things. How would you? describe that and so yeah you might you might call it a dragon yeah right? i Which mean is, seriously you know how, you the would... language that john uses yeah yeah so and we'll actually get into this this weekend i'm preaching this weekend and the the scripture that we're looking at is from revelation and we'll uh we're actually going to get into this that you're exactly right tim in order to understand revelation you really need to get into a first century jewish mindset to understand it it's all highly stylized um, and is all highly metaphorical. Um, but when it comes to the afterlife, I guess I just want to maybe take a moment and just walk through how scripture talks about the afterlife. And then maybe we can have a discussion about how that differs from, uh, popular culture. But in the old Testament, they didn't really have a robust idea of the afterlife. There wasn't a settled, this is what the afterlife afterlife is. They have what they called Sheol, which was the place of the dead. And the only way, maybe the best, most comparable way that I can talk about this is how Latin American cultures understand death and that remembering the dead is really, really important in forgetting the stories and the influences of people is the worst thing that can happen to somebody. Like that's worse than death. And in the Jewish mindset, it's, it's similar, where Sheol is just where everybody goes. Everybody it, everybody just dies. And there's not a, a, a robust idea or concept of your spirit, quote-unquote spirit, the eternal part of you, lasts forever, 
even when your body's in the ground. For the Jewish mindset in the Old Testament, you're dead and you're dead. There are a couple times where we get some weirdness about somebody being swept up into heaven, uh, Enoch being swept up into heaven by a fiery chariot, the prophet Samuel being brought back to life, or his spirit being brought back from the dead. So we get some hints that there's some eternity, but it's not robust. So in the Old Testament, there's not a clear picture of what the afterlife is. When we get into the New Testament, the the picture of the afterlife gets fleshed out quite a bit more. And Jesus talks about a place of eternal separation from God, which we talked about earlier. And that's where we get some of this fire language, um, refining language, brim, you know, the brimstone language. Uh, that's where we get some of this, the chain language, the torment, the weeping and gnashing of teeth, this like eternal place of desperation and loneliness. We get some of that language from Jesus. And also we get some language for an eternal place with God. Uh, Jesus himself does not expand greatly on what that eternal place with God is going to be like or is going to look like. Then in the Revelation, uh, the very last book of the Bible, we get, again, even more robust picture of what the afterlife is going to be like. And he states very clearly, he sees very clearly, I should say, that there is a separation between um, those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. Those who are in Christ get to participate in God's presence for eternity. Those who are not in Christ are separated completely from God, and they are in a place of desperation and weeping and uh, just horrible horribleness. Um, the, this place of eternal presence with God is, and this is where I think that there's the most separation between our kind of concept of heaven and earth, um, of heaven and hell, is that in the Revelation, the Christians, those who are in Christ, don't go to heaven. Heaven actually comes down to earth. So in the very last two chapters of the Revelation, the skies open up and new Jerusalem comes down from the heavens. And earth is reestablished as the place where God and man dwell together. So that goes back to what you said, Pastor Ben. Yeah, that's the paradise restored. That's the paradise restored. It's the Eden, again, where it's the earth space, the actual physical earth space, is inhabited by God and man in full communion with one another. So we have a perception that when I die... I go to this other spiritual place, and then after Jesus comes back to earth, everyone goes to this spiritual place and we all hang out. But that's not actually what scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that when Jesus returns, God's going to reestablish earth as the place where those who are in Christ are resurrected in their bodies and live with God forever without pain and that's where we get all these images of there is no sadness. Every tear is wiped away. The streets are paved with gold. The seas are glassy. That's where we start getting all that kind of metaphorical language. Um, so that's the kind of that's the biblical perception through the whole story. And that's a little bit different than I think popular culture kind of talks about it. Because it's more like the good place where it's just like spirit, quote unquote spirit, 
that gets sent into this non-physical place where the rules don't apply the same way. And it's not really you. It's not your body, but it's your spirit that goes to this place. Um, and that's just different in our popular culture. So what, you know, when you, when you guys look at the biblical story and look at what the scripture says about the afterlife, what, what's most surprising to you guys? What do you think is most different from our culture? What are some things that you've experienced in your life that maybe you're like, Oh yeah. When I talk to these people, they definitely see this differently than scripture tells us. I think most people, uh, as they're listening to this and they hear the paradise restored concept, it'll be fairly new to them because most of their heaven language has been built around kind of the pop culture. We turn into angels for some reason and we play harps for some reason and we can fly. I don't, I don't even like the harp <laughs> for some reason. I don't want to play harp forever. I am trying to fly though. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's normally our, our context. We start heaven. We see white. We see a lot of like clouds. We see things like that. We see a big gate and, and that's kind of our, uh, kind of cartoonish version. And it's very pop culture oriented as, as much as we talked about last time about Satan running around with a pitchfork and ruling hell in, in the same way. That's really built on pop culture and fictional books and, and things like that. But, but I, I you know, even though I, I think that some pastors might disagree, I, I have definitely seen in my, as I read through scripture, this concept of paradise restored and, uh, God making everything good again is a uh, definitely the the biblical notion. Now, what does that look like? Uh, I don't, I don't fully know. I guess we'll just get to see and be excited when we get there. But if it if at the very least is my uh, version of my life now without pain and sorrow and without decay, that would be pretty awesome. Yeah. So even if I had unlimited eternity to explore every nook and cranny of the earth you know that would be pretty special even though i think there's more more waiting for us and of course the most important part is not that it's uh it's really that being restored in relationship with god yeah so when it comes to this question when i die do i go directly to jesus this is uh do i yeah do i go directly to jesus this is where scripture i think is most murky and it's funny that Lots of Christians, and I would probably say most Western, especially American Christians, have kind of staked the main part of their faith on this thing, which is funny because this is where scripture is really unclear. But there's all there's this kind of spirituality that that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. When I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And we talk a lot about that when um, – at funerals and when when the elderly get sick, um, we begin to have a lot of that conversation. And most of our – a lot of our spirituality is based on that idea. We have songs. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. We have this whole kind of system of thought based around when I die, my body goes into the ground, but my spirit, the real part of me, quote unquote real part of me, goes to heaven and is with Jesus. And in scripture, we have some indication of that, but it's certainly not clear. It's almost like how the Old Testament talks about the afterlife, where it's not robust or fleshed out at all. 
That's how the New Testament is with what happens immediately after you die. So when you die, there's some indication. Paul says uh, to be away from the body is to be with the Lord. We have some indication um, in Revelation that there are disembodied spirits of the saints, of Christians, with God, singing his praises. We have those indications, but it's really only in those like two or three places, and it's certainly not fleshed out. Because even in that Paul text, we we don't know if Paul's talking about death or if he's talking about like spiritual revelation. So to be like experiencing visions is to be with the Lord. So we don't really even know if he's talking about death in that passage. That's not super clear. Um, so my question to you guys is why do you think there's so much – why do you think we tie so much – of our faith into what happens immediately after we die, that our spirit goes someplace and our body stays on earth. Why do you think we pin so much onto that thing? I think it's just a natural tendency for us to want to give an answer to every question, not enjoying living in the murkiness. That's probably things we've been taught along the way. I mean, my, my, my personal viewpoint on this is that, you know, Paul talks about, like you kind of alluded to already, uh, Paul talks about being, that he's looking forward to it because to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. In the Old Testament, we see this this weird uh, <laughs> weird term called Ab- Abraham's bosom. So it's, it's kind of like we have, if we had to put a clean, crisp concept on it to give us comfort, you know, how I might say it is, when we die, we have awareness, but we don't have awareness. Like we, nice we, Stephen Furtick bar. We uh, two weeks in a <laughs> row, man. We know we know that, like we experience God's love, but obviously the resurrection, full resurrection, has not happened. Yeah. So we don't have our restored bodies, and and I think that's probably some of the concept that we kind of dance around. My own personal theory, and this is not biblical. This is just this is we're we're in speculation now, folks. This is now full so. blown. As Paul, as Paul would say, which Paul says in a letter, he says, this is not from the Lord. This is from me. So yeah, my, my this is perfectly valid. Yeah. This is my own, my own speculation is I try to understand it and think of what it would be like if I were to die, you know, I, in, in my mind, the, the concept of time, like we have it is a, is a different thing here than it is for God. And so I think that also will be kind of in some ways released from that. So like I said, this is my personal speculation. This is not, I found it in scripture somewhere. This is just my concept that I, I try to. Yeah. You're talking about what's the, what's a thousand years to God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I view God's concept of time. And I think that in some ways we'll be unshackled from that as well. Right. So my, my personal thought, and this really came to me when my grandfather died, we were very close my grandfather died. I was thinking, okay, so obviously the resurrection hasn't happened. His body has not been restored. We just put his body into the ground. Um, so he has awareness of Jesus' love and presence, but he doesn't isn't fully restored. And I was just thinking, I wonder if immediately after you die, if your first fully full awareness is just that resurrection moment because time just stops existing, where it's like the next thing you know, I'm already with him, you know, because of our, our shackling. 
how we've been shackled to time in this earthly existence that almost like when you die, it's like a, and how we would view it is like a fast forwarding to that culmination of the new heavens and the new earth and the new body and full restoration and perfection. And so that's how I've kind of theorized about this, that that may be what it's like. It's just like a instantaneous, <laughs> you're, you're with God, but then it's the first memory you have kind of like when you're a kid and you have a first memory like this would be the first memory that you have is heaven. And, uh, that's, that's what you hold on to. So obviously that's, that's full theoretical, but this, the scripture, like, like pastor Eric said, we have Paul's teaching that to be absent from the body, you know, death is to be present with the Lord. We have this stuff throughout the old Testament talking about Abraham's bosom, that there's some, something there where are connected. And like I said, if I were to simplify it, something very complex and, and in many ways guesswork, I would just say we have at the very, very least when we die, we have awareness. Like we have awareness of Christ's love and his presence, but we don't have awareness. Like we cannot walk around because our, our body hasn't been fully restored. And then we see um, later on in, in the Bible, we see that the, the dead in Christ will rise first. And so if there is a pecking order, as it were, then those people have their restored bodies and then the rest of us join, join them with our refined bodies and everything else kind of shakes out and we are the <laughs> beneficiaries of that, whatever that looks like. Uh, I will say I'm not an expert in this area because I don't, I, I like to dabble in the practical more than the theoretical. And uh, this is what I do know. I know it's going to be great. Yeah. We're going to get there and it's going to overwhelm my best theories and my best concepts anyways. Yeah. To answer your question, I think the reason we do that is just because we, we want to feel good. Like we, we, we want to, and it's mainly to provide comfort. I would say, um, just knowing that there is something very good that comes after this and knowing that there is, uh, no pain, no suffering. Um, and we have a, a perfect relationship and it's just, but yeah, like I guess to answer your question, uh, TLDR, um, <laughs> it's just to provide comfort. Comfort. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that you're right, Tim. I think that we just are, we try to grapple with the immediate pain of losing somebody, um, which, which I think sometimes short changes us. I think that sometimes short, short changes our grief. Um, but I, I don't think it's necessarily incorrect you know, I think that scripture hints that immediately after death, we do see Jesus, even if it's in an awkward in-between kind of state, because the biblical vision for the afterlife is not a disembodied, our quote-unquote spirit, leaving our body and being somewhere forever. Uh, it's actually quite grounded. Uh, there's really not a whole lot of talk in scripture about us being made up of our real spirit, that's really us, and then our bodies, which isn't really us, which I think that's another popular notion that people have. Um, but actually, Scripture talks about us like you are your body. You, that, you are you. You are who you are. You are not some eternal spirit trapped in a body. You are your body. And the biblical vision for heaven, you know, quote-unquote heaven, the eternal life, is 
your body being resurrected and made new without pain, without suffering, without discomfort, and then being reestablished on earth with God to, and, and I think the biblical vision, uh, if Eden is paradise and if we're being restored back to that place, that means we're, that means we're going to work. That means that we actually are going to work in the afterlife and we're going to be able to cultivate the ground and support one another. Um, scripture talks about in Revelation about uh, having feasts and eating in the afterlife. And so I actually think that in some ways uh, we're really shortchanging what eternal life is going to be when we just act like it's the clouds and we're just going to be in some, you know, whatever cloud, cloudy, white golden place, you know, our spirits are going to be there when actually God really is interesting and interested in reestablishing our bodies, our minds in a restored world where we can work together and care for each other and worship God in complete freedom for eternity, uh, which is what I think the biblical vision of heaven, quote unquote, heaven is, and I think that's so much better <laughs> than sitting on a cloud playing a harp, too. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, one, because I'm kind of, I know how you are with heights and all that. Yeah, so yeah. I don't think you'd enjoy that too we much. Went, yes, yesterday we went to the Mall of America here in the Twin Cities. And if you don't know, the Mall of America is massive and it's four stories tall or something like that. Right, Ben? Yeah, four stories. Anyway, so we're on the top story of this place and we just got these delicious sushi burritos and we ate them and then tim and i go stand next to the railing that looks down for four stories and man it freaks me out heights freak me out so yeah sitting on a cloud not my thing does not sound fun to me well good guys um i think we answered the question and also i think we were able to uh deal a lot with conceptions of eternal life and what happens after we die. Do you guys have, have any closing thoughts, anything you want to, you want to add? Yeah. There's one thing that people often ask me and I think it kind of is in connection to this and people will ask me about cremation. Cremation is becoming yeah. uh, much more popular. And, and so people are concerned that they're doing something wrong. And I think there's even some unspoken concern that they're going to do something that might, affect their eternity make it so they can't be resurrected yeah and, and that's a you know that's that's a real tension that people have that they yeah. bring up and and a lot of the questions that people ask me tend to be something like if i do this or if i'm caught up in this or if i'm sitting in this way will i not get to heaven which actually on on sunday eric's going to answer that question this is a little preview of the unforgivable sin and we talk about things like that that was one of the questions we brought up but you know, people talk about cremation and when it comes to cremation, you just got to get hyper logical with it. Right. So cremation is the burning of your body into ashes. Scripture is very clear that we are dust and to dust we shall return. That's what we celebrate on Ash Wednesday. Right. And so in the end, your body will decompose yes. whether you put it in a casket or you burn it. Um, of course, outside of that, the easiest way to logically conclude that it's really a non-issue is that people die in all sorts of ways. Yeah. And, and some people slowly get disease and decompose. Some people get, you know, go to war and they lose body parts and die or they're completely 
you know, incinerated because of a, a warhead or something. So, you know, I, I think just logically, obviously, is God going to eternally damn us because of the reality that we experience in this life, especially after the fact? Like, are we going to go have awareness with God? <laughs> I mean, awareness with God. And then he's like, wait a second, you destroyed your body. I have, I don't know what to do with you. Like, you're just going to float here. Obviously, that's not the case. God created us from dust. I think he can recreate us from dust. In fact, that's, right. that's probably a pretty beautiful picture. For most people, there, the benefit of having the full casket is there is an emotional ability to let go. If you can see, see, and then hold on to that reality that your loved one has passed. So that's really the benefit there. Of course, there is a correlation to Christ's death where he was laid in the tomb and came back out. But if you opt to do cremation and the Holy Spirit isn't doing any work on your heart, because everyone's going to have that a little bit differently. Obviously, if that's you're feeling attention about it, then maybe you should just not go in that direction. But I, I feel no tension about it. Tim, do you have anything else to add? Heaven's going to be amazing. It is. It's going to be well worth the pain and the turmoil. Really just being in a perfect relationship and being in the presence of God is going to make it worth it. Yeah. Amen. It's going to be super rad. Um, all right, guys. Well, thanks. Did you so really much. just say rad? I did say rad. Man, I just dropped some profound stuff and I got super rad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. We're good. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that um, answered some of your questions. And if you have any other questions, send me an email. Let me know. We'd be happy to tackle some more uh, questions that you guys have. So I hope, I hope you guys have a great weekend. Um, enjoy your time uh, this weekend of worship and rest. Hopefully you can take some time to Sabbath this weekend. So um, we love you guys. Have a great weekend and we'll see you next week. Bye everyone. Thanks for listening.